Every lumber region has its lore. Every lumber district has its own peculiar tales. Some have their songs also, and nearly all have mysterious stories or vague rumors of dreadful beasts with which to regale newcomers and frighten people unfamiliar with the woods. William T. Cox Deep in the lumberwoods of North America, there lurk strange creatures that defy logic and reason. They do not look or behave like the fauna known to science, and they have made quite an impression on the woodsmen lucky enough or unlucky enough to witness them. Tonight, we explore the fantastic rumors of these fearsome critters on this tall tale episode of Snipe Hunt. Welcome, Lumberjacks and Lumberjills, to Snipe Hunt, your frightening folklore podcast. The only podcast that records the same episode twice. <laughs> I am your Hugagish host, Darren Young. And I am your hide-behind host, because I like hiding behind, <laughs> Gary Clevenstein. And tonight we venture deep into the lumberwoods of North America, where we might just find ourselves being stalked by fearsome critters again for the second time yes because we're we're trying uh, i was i was going to reference it like you guys heard the first right. recording of it. <laughs> so we're trying this new soundboard technology and we're trying a new recording program with it and so i thought i had everything set up correctly and we recorded the entire episode in uh the middle of december maybe even early december mm-hmm and And the best part wasn't even there it didn't work out it didn't work out uh it picked up my microphone it picked up our new soundboard it did not pick up gary's microphone (laughs) at all but i mean i sounded great if only your microphone had picked me up because then we could have just been like hey the the audio it it did like like it sounded like you were talking in a different room but so but it did (laughs) so i mean but so we're recording again i'm sure i have all the kinks worked out this time and we're just gonna we're just gonna plow right through this all over again. This is the this is the episode the universe did not want us to record because we were like, oh yeah, we have to re-record it. But then the holidays hit us. But then we were, and I was like, oh, we'll recover from the holidays a little bit before we record. And then I got COVID. <laughs> just like everyone's going to get COVID. If you don't have COVID yet, uh, you either had it and didn't realize it, or you're going to get it. There's no, yeah. there's no not getting COVID. Just, just get it, get it over with. And then, just I, don't die, please. It was fine. Yeah, COVID wasn't bad for me specifically, but you know, it's stuff lingered. I had a cough, couldn't record. I gotta say, it's about time that you got it though, because I mean, shoot, what I got mine, I think it was like May of yeah. last year. Yeah, and I just got yeah. it like in December. Or after January, actually. So you got, got the, you probably got the the transformer version. Yeah, I got Unicron. Oh, Unicron, <laughs> not not Omicron or whatever. But is there? What is this Unicron's transformer? Oh, he's the big yellow moon. He's the moon. I thought maybe there was a new f- strand that I haven't heard of. I'm like, wait <laughs> yeah, a minute, are uni- you joking? <laughs> yeah, the uni- <laughs> Honestly, I wish I was Gary. <laughs> but it, yeah, so I that, and then I lingering stuff. And then Cox Communications had to come out at different times, so Gary couldn't record. Canceled on me twice. And then we had Snowpocalypse 2022, so we couldn't record then. So now we're finally recording again, 
And without further ado, yes. tonight we will be doing a classic Monster Menagerie episode featuring many bizarre beasts, specifically a class of creatures referred to as Fearsome Critters. But first, I hope everyone had a horrifically ghoulish Halloween and a food-filled Thanksgiving and a very Merry Christmas, regardless of whether or not you celebrate it. And by the time this episode comes out, yeah. <laughs> a happy as hell New Year. Yeah. It is now February. February. Yeah. You can tell even when I went back and edited this how long it's been. <laughs> um, and like I said, we have a new launch pad from which we can play a variety of fun sound effects or music. So we apologize in advance. If we go a little crazy with the sounds, this will be sort of a test episode. New soundboard. <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> also... Shout out to my buddy Lindsay from Quib Talk. Lindsay, yeah, for becoming a patron. Like, Lindsay, I don't know, is she still a patron? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a few months. Yeah. <laughs> and now Lindsay gets to access topic voting and some bonus audio because she went to Patreon.com/slash Snipe Hunt and is nice enough to donate. So thank you so much, Lindsay. Yes, thank you very much. And like we said last episode, definitely check out Quib Talk. Wherever you listen to podcasts, yeah. where I am now a permanent member. Yes, Gary is now a uh, a podcast host. Uh, I am. A, I am a, trying to figure out what word I can say on this somewhat family friendly program. I completed their trifecta. He's a floozy. He's a, he's a yeah. podcast host floozy now. Yeah, yeah. I am. I'm a whore. <laughs> Sorry. Beep. Uh, yeah, that should be fine. But I'm a whore. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah definitely go check out quip talk if you like gary um and i know you all do um definitely go check it out they, they talk about just a bunch of random stuff completely um, random yeah stuff. It's, it's it is that you on the artwork for that one episode on like a snowboard yes <laughs> i thought it was you but it wasn't yeah. sure. who did that that's really good Lindsay, Lindsay does all that really yeah wow I thought I, I thought I looked like a god. But it it doesn't look like me. It does look like me. I was say look like when me. I looked at it and I was like, "That's Gary, isn't it?" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it looks enough like you. She well, is, it's like it's a cartoony caricature, right? Right, but it's she not like exaggerated. Yeah, she's that's really, cool. She's really good at it. I can tell. Yeah, that was really cool. But yeah, definitely check them out. They're really cool. I think uh, Lindsay voted for our next episode too. Oh, really? Yeah, cool. So because she I, wants to come on again. Yeah, she totally should. Yeah. We, we'll figure out another episode. Uh, my friend Brennan wants to come on too, like all my friends. But unlike all my friends, Brennan is actually listening to the podcast. We just so. need to have like a... I think it'd be cool to do an episode every now and again, like we do the Quib Talk. Yeah. Because you have a webcam, don't you? Yes. Okay. Yeah, you got a nice one. Yeah. Didn't you get a nice one? It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So I was just thinking because it's, 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 it's kind of neat, but... Anyways. Anyway, but yeah, that's uh, that's for the future. Um, keep an eye on our social media pages if you're interested in any of that. For now, let's get on to Fearsome Critters. My main source for this episode is Fearsome Critters of the Lumberwoods by William T. Cox, published in 1910. This is the OG written source for Fearsome Critters, and I was actually able, happy I was able to access it. I kind of pirated it a little bit, but... Oh, um, you didn't say that. No, I didn't say that. Strike that from the record. Now, Definition Man, for the second time, what exactly are these crazy critters of lumberjack lore? Well, Darren, I'm so glad you <laughs> asked. Fearsome critters were fantastical creatures that were said to inhabit the vast wilderness surrounding logging camps, primarily in the Great Lake region. However, these beings are actually joke animals invented by lumberjacks and loggers to either pass the time in jest 
or to haze newcomers. Oh, okay. So a little bit little bit of a snipe hunt situation, if you will, which is uh where you go out and catch quote unquote snipes and yeah. those are fake. <laughs> so, um so we're getting a little of the same vibe as our hoax cryptid episode, but the main difference is these far fetched animals were always intended to be jokes for the most part, only to be believed by the good heartingly deceived. We actually covered one of these creatures in the hoax cryptid episode, the ox slash dragon thing known as the hodag. Whereas cryptids are thought to be animals yet to be discovered by science, these creatures, they're just good fun. They run parallel to American tall tales and have wormed their way into their own sort of folklore, which I call joke lore, uh, patent pending. Um, and they are endlessly entertaining, hence why we're covering them here. I've included the most interesting and bizarre beasties I can find, so needless to say, this episode's gonna be a fun one. And uh, because these things are basically Pokemon, uh, oh, sorry, this episode's gonna be a fun one, comma, because these things are basically Pokemon. <laughs> Can't read my own uh, my own script. And uh, I may have contributed to this joke lore by adding some fun details and speculation of my own. As we're going through, see if you can pick those out. It'll be a little game. Uh, now, visuals are going to matter a lot in this episode, so I have a slideshow for you, Gary, um, which you have seen once Yay. before. But like I said, it's been long enough. Yeah. It's, it's almost like it's a fresh new episode. Yeah. First, we'll describe the animal, and then I will show it a picture of it to you, and let's see if it matches what you had pictured in your head. And then, of course, I'll post the pictures on social media, Facebook and Instagram, the same day this episode releases. And without further ado, let's get to work. Well, our first critter is the Hugag. 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 I went with Hugag. Hugag? Yeah. Scientific name, Reclinor Rigidus, which translates to Eileen Stiffly. <laughs> that sounds like a... Uh, I uh, met her. That's, <laughs> I was about to say, that sounds like a, a Bart pr- phone call prank. Yeah. <laughs> is Eileen Stiffly here? <laughs> Eileen Stiffly. Yeah, it's Aaron Eileen Stiffly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hailing from the Great Lakes region, the hugag is an animal that is described as such. In size, the hugag may be compared to the moose, and in for it somewhat resembles that animal. Very noticeable, however, are its jointless legs, which compel the animal to remain on its feet, and its long upper lip, which prevents it from grazing. If it tried that method, if it tried that method of feeding it. Am I having a stroke right now? <laughs> no, this is old 1910 writing. Here, let me okay. see if I can help you out. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. If it tried that method of feeding, it would simply tramp. That's amazing. <laughs> the power how of the that, comma. How that comma just made it make sense in my head. That's yeah. Great. All right. If it tried that method of feeding, it would simply tramp its upper lip into the dirt. Its head and neck are leathery and hairless. Its strangely corrugated ears flop downward. Its four-toed feet, long bushy tail, shaggy coat, and general makeup give the beast an unmistakably in unmistakably prehistoric appearance. Uh, maybe you are having a stroke. <laughs> oh, I know. So it's kind of moose-like. It's kind of got some weird features, and this is what it looks like. Oh, I remember that now. Yeah, he's got the stiff, jointless legs, the... Non-hairy face and neck, the weird, so, almost fin-like ears. Yeah, so imagine a moose, mm-hmm. and then uh, somebody cut off its head. Like a severely deformed moose, yeah. And then 
they stapled on or or just sewed on a platypus's head. Yeah, essentially, yeah. and and like some fins for the ears, and it's got like the moose like head, but then it's got that weird lip, and it's stiff, so it's almost like a bill, I guess. Yeah, but anyway, hmm. yeah, oh yeah, and then like put splints on its legs so it couldn't bend its knees because it doesn't have any knees. How awful. Because it cannot graze, the hoogag puts the giant upper lip to work by stripping bark off of trees for sustenance. It also eats twigs, pine needles, and resinous fatwood of trees, which causes the secretion of sap from its pores. Oftentimes, the pine needles do not get digested, but flow into the bloodstream and clogs the pores on the skin of the animal, causing it to have pine needle quills. This causes the large animal to have a very convincing natural camouflage. Due to not having any joints on in its limbs, the hoogag has to awkwardly meander on its long legs. It also cannot lie down due to this, and therefore sleeps by leaning against a tree. The most skilled hoogag hunters make large notches in trees to the point where the tree is ready to fall down. When the clueless hoogag leans against the trap, the tree comes down and the hoogag falls with it. It cannot get up from its helpless state and therefore can be dispatched quite easily with, quote, a knock to the head. That's not a knock that to the head. That was the wrong one. That's a knock to the head. <laughs> that other one would work too, but it's <laughs> not as humane. But yeah, the, the pine needle uh, poor thing is pretty interesting. It kind of, like the natural camouflage is cool, but uh, it seems like a pretty dopey animal. It seems kind of dumb. Right. It's like, hey, this tree's about to fall over. I'm going to lean against it. But it was born that way. <laughs> it was born that way. Because... The poor thing. <laughs> what kind of life is it if you can't lay down? Right. I don't even know. You guys would just have to see this. Thing. I can't that's, even that's imagine. Why there's awkward pauses because we're staring at it. <laughs> yeah, we're just like, wow. Yeah. Wow. We're, since we're using our soundboard, uh-huh. here's what uh, it sounds like. Yeah, that's its mating call. Does that uh, does that do anything for you? I thought that was, I thought that was me sleeping. <laughs> I need to get a rim shot. Uh, the you need to get a what? No. The rim shot drum thing, <laughs> Gary. God. I was like, hey, where are we taking this? <laughs> All right, uh, we can make some folklore connections uh, to the Hoogag thanks to a man who has come up several times in our episodes, Pliny the Elder, the Roman naturalist who described many fantastical creatures in his works, which he claimed were real. One of these being the Achlis or Achlis, it's A-C-H-L-I-S, an elk-like animal with a large upper lip, jointless legs, and was often caught by hunters using the same notch tree method as described earlier. So this Achlis definitely seems to be the inspiration from the Hoogag because, you know, it's essentially the same thing, except a antelope instead of, or elk instead of a moose. So I find it interesting that the folklore of a super obscure Roman mythological creature described in the first century BCE somehow found its way into American lumberjack folklore almost 2,000 years later. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So what this podcast is all about, making, right. making those folklore connections. <laughs> Our next beastie hails from the Pacific Coast lumberwoods of Washington, Oregon, and California. And its name sounds as if it comes straight out of a Dr. Seuss book. It is the Gumbaroo. Gumbaroo. Scientific name, Megalogaster repercus. Yeah. Roughly translates to large-bodied reflector. 
It spends most of its time hiding in the bases of burnt-out cedar trees, but it will venture out when it's hungry. And during these expeditions, very little can satiate its ravenous hunger. It is described as such. The specimens seen are reported to have been coal black, but that may have been due to their being smirched with the charred wood. In size, the beast corresponds closely to a black bear, for which it might be mistaken only for the fact that the gumbaroo is almost hairless. To be sure, it has prominent eyebrows and some long bristly hairs on its chin, but the body is smooth, tough, and shiny, and bears not even a wrinkle. These specimens are known for their elastic skin, and on feeding expeditions it might eat several times its own weight, causing the gumbaroo to bloat in all directions, but without causing it the slightest discomfort. That's me with pasta. That's what to say. <laughs> Carbs. The, uh, this elastic skin has made the gumbaroo virtually invulnerable. Any strike against the creature bounces off with the same force. Even a shot from a hunting rifle re will result in the bullet bouncing back and is more of a danger to the hunter than to this animal. Also me with pasta. <laughs> Although nigh invincible, the Gumbaroo does have one mortal weakness. Fire. <laughs> Fire. Fire. The skin of the animal is extremely flammable, and if exposed to open flame, the creature will ignite and quickly explode. Also me with pasta? That seemed fun. <laughs> I couldn't do it because I'm I'm softy, but it would be so much fun to cause these creatures to explode <laughs> and die a horrific death. Hey, I can't even put salt on a salt. Although slug. I have done some pretty, you know, messed up things in my youth. Uh my brother Brent's not Jason, I don't care what he says. <laughs> we met up with some older kids and uh they had firecrackers and we uh went out and Tell me you didn't put them in frogs. We put them in frogs. Ah. Those poor, poor frogs picked up the frogs, stuffed them in their gullet, threw them out. Oh, pop goes the frog, no. dude. You, you of all people no. should know, since you're you're a father. Children are sociopaths. They are. Yeah. But thank God you didn't grow up into a a uh, serial killer. Yeah. Because nope. that's how they start. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I totally didn't grow up into a serial killer. As long as you just did frogs, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I mean, they're kind of like the. I don't know. Yeah, it's a good thing oh. I don't have several bodies under my floorboard right now. Wait a minute. Don't look. That makes me want to look. No, right? don't. It's Gary, <laughs> I'm just I'm just joshing with you. Come on. Why am I smelling weird things now? <laughs> don't, don't worry about it, dude. I just farted. It's fine. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, if exposed to open flame, the creature will ignite and quickly explode, which results in a sound not unlike that of a falling tree and a smell... Not unlike a tire fire. It is speculated that these animals are scarce due to many exploding in forest fires. And the, the, explosion! <laughs> explosion! <laughs> that one's definitely staying on the permanent uh, know, <laughs> on the I'm, permanent list. I'm gonna overuse it. <laughs> uh, the inspiration for this beast, with its dark elastic looking skin and bear-like appearance, may have come from sightings of black bear with mange all right so if you look at your slideshow this is the gumbaroo here's the artist depiction on the left and a black bear with mange on the right you know what though the black bear with mange it's actually horrifyingly cute yeah it is kind of freaky because the skin is kind of saggy 
Uh, it is kind of wrinkly, which kind of you know goes against the Gumbaroo look. But you can totally see the resemblance because even the Gumbaroo has hair on its chin and eyebrows, and the black bear sort of does too. It's got like this little mange mane going on on its head. That still is insane, though. You would never like. Can you imagine coming across that thing at night? No, that's terrifying. Or just coming across that thing. Period. Yeah. Any any animal with mange automatically makes it look scarier, no matter what it is. A lot of the. Uh, Chupacabra sightings have basically been of coyotes with mange, um, which they do look like a completely different animal. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Like, if, if you saw one of those, if you're camping and you saw one of those things, with the first, well, I mean, maybe now we'd be like, oh my God, that's a black bear with mange. Right. But if you had no idea yes. about that, if you'd never seen you'd one, you'd have no idea. It'd be terrifying. You thought you'd because, look because there's no fur to cover up these terrifying bear claws, and you can just see everything. Dude, that's like, have you seen a, 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 a possum's foot? Yeah. Oh, my God. They're, they're pretty grabby. Dude, if you just see a possum's <laughs> foot and not know that it's attached to a possum, dude, it is insane. Uh, everyone Google possum foot right yes. now. Don't now. wait. Even if you're driving. No, I'm just kidding. We had one in the drive. attic at work. Yeah. At my old job. And the AT&T man, he was up in the attic running new cables. And he took a picture. And all he could see was the... The, the claw. The claw. Yeah, the claw. <laughs> and he didn't know what the hell it was. He got out of there so fast. And then he showed us the picture, and I'm like, what, what the is hell that? is that? Yeah, like. It's so funny. But anyways. <laughs> All right. Uh, possum claw. But yeah, uh, so here's our possum claw. <laughs> that's going to be the name of my my band's next song, Possum Claw. I actually do kind of like it. That's, <laughs> that's going to be my new band name. What are you talking about? But yeah, here's the Gumbrew. He's a big, he's a spherical round boy. In this artist's depiction, he's got like a weird smile and he's got like squinted eyes like he's high, which he might be. That's probably what the smoke is. It's probably not the tree he lives in. It's probably... I never even noticed. Marijuana! <laughs> that was good. Sorry. But that I'm not good. sorry. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> All right. All right. Go, continue. That's the gumber. We got we got lots of beasts to get through, so we, we'll try to pick it up a little bit, but we're, we're having too much fun. Our next creature is of the winged variety. It is the goofus bird, a.k.a. the flu fly bird, a.k.a. the philomaloo bird. Scientific name, Fulica stultus regredians, which means stupid regressive waterfowl. <laughs> like most FCs, some critters. I'm gonna start. To, I'm gonna say that Stephanie. Now I'm gonna say you are being such a Felusa stultus regredians. <laughs> you said it so much better. Yeah, I don't even know if that's right, but uh, uh, ful- folica stultus regredians sounds right. Yeah, it's if it sounds right, it, is, it right. is right. So the stupid regressive waterfowl has a striking appearance. Its left wing is pink, but its right one is black, and the female has the opposite orientation. So you know. Switch the switch the colors on the wings. It has a long, scaly green neck with a head resembling that of a turkey's. These abnormal avians have similar behavior to other birds, but they perform these behaviors opposite to what is expected. They eat snails, but only the shell. They build their nests upside down, which seems counterintuitive due to the poor durability of their eggs. And most curious of all, they fly backwards, as it does not care where it is going, only where it has been makes sense these low intellect birds are renowned for their resolute indifference so we'll get to this one but here is the goofus bird or the philomaloo bird on the right as you can see this one's flying backwards nests upside down 
Honestly, without coloring, it looks like a pretty standard bird. I was going to say, yeah. It, it does look like a waterfowl. It looks like a duck with like weird frill on its head and flying backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and it probably sounds something like this. Yeah, mm. that's uh, that's why I assume uh, a philomaloo bird sounds like. Oh, that's actually a willow grouse. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure they're related. Um, this animal is not to be confused with the gilly-galoo bird from Paul Bunyan lore. This bird lays square eggs uh, to prevent them from rolling down the steep incline where, where the species roosts. Bunyan himself once used these spotted cubed eggs as dice. It makes it sound like the, the bird decides that it's going to wear square that's going to lay square eggs. I mean, it might if uh, it adapted to lay square eggs. Do you think its anus is square? It doesn't have an anus. It has a cloaca. And yes. <laughs> oh, that's right. A- eggs don't come out of the anus. Huh? No, they don't. They don't. <laughs> but the cloaca is just kind of like an all-purpose orifice. So, you know. Wow. No. I mean, Darren, my, my eggs don't come out of Where do babies come from? <laughs> the cloaca. <laughs> Not really any true folklore for the Goofus bird, but it was definitely inspired by an older bird created for comic relief, the Uslem bird. Hailing from British and Australian folktales, the Uslem bird has a unique defense mechanism. <laughs> You'll like this, Gary. When startled, the bird will take off and fly around in ever-decreasing circles until it manages to fly up its own backside, <laughs> disappearing completely, which, quote, Adds to its rarity. Okay. So this bird, d- speaking of anuses. Flies up its own anus. It flies up its own anus, or cloaca, if you will. I'm imagining it flying so fast, like backwards, mm-hmm. that its butthole just <laughs> like prolapses yeah, and just swallows it. So then you just oh this, I see what you're saying this ball kind of just purple. yeah it's kind of just, but yeah. then it has to get ever smaller because right. it, it's not losing the momentum and then eventually it disappears completely. Mm, yeah, we figured we figured this out, Gary. Oh, you heard it here first, guys. I apologize. And of course, other legends say that it flies backwards in order to admire its own tail feathers. So that must be like the the kid version. <laughs> the last bird related to this is the Oozle Finch, which has become an unofficial historical mascot of the Air Defense Artillery Branch of the United States Army. The legend goes that while stationed at Fort Monroe, Virginia, in 1905. Drunken Captain H.M. Merriam, that's such a captain name, H.M. Merriam, sighted a large-eyed, backwards-flying bird outside the officers' club. Uh, Soon after, others reported seeing the same fantastical flyer, sketches were made, and a legend was born. Today can be seen on the localized heraldry of the military included in the 42nd Field Artillery Brigade and the Railway Artillery Reserved. The Oozel Finch is now known for flying backwards at supersonic speeds while carrying artillery such as the Nike Hercules missile, a long-range surface-to-air defense missile. So we have a supersonic oh, bird. Oh, it's not a shoe? That carries, yes. It's Nike as in the Goddess of Victory, not Nike as in the shoe brand. Oh, okay. Which also took their name from the Goddess of Victory. The Greek Goddess of Victory. Mm. Yeah. The more you know. And yeah, that's the other picture I included. I included the insignia uh, that features the Oozel Finch. On the right. I do dig that design. But I just really like the idea of like you're fighting uh, the, the U.S. military. And all of a sudden you see this bird flying over here. You're like, oh, what is that? Is that a bird or it's a plane? It's got a, it's got a freaking missile and <laughs> its talents ready to drop on you. And then all of a sudden 
It disappears into its own bow. <laughs> Leaving only the missile. Yeah. <laughs> which is now heading towards you. Uh, Our next eccentric entry is the Turbinus Turbin Good luck. Turbinakissus Nebluoid Neb Nebluoides. 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 Turbinakissus Nebluoides. I don't know. Okay. That's which, pretty close. Which might mean hazy injuring whirlwind. Common name the whirling wimpus. Oh yeah. But don't let that goofy name fool you. This ape-like beast is a predator and one of the most dangerous critters out there, and it's speculated to be responsible for the disappearance of many a lumberjack or hiker. The wimpus appearance resembles that of a gorilla, but its arms are abnormally long and its hands are too enormous for its body. Its hind legs and feet are also disproportionate, but in the opposite direction, they are very small. They're very small. Given its description, one would be forgiven to believe that this animal was slow and cumbersome. But do not be deceived. This bloodthirsty devil can move at blinding speeds. All right, if you want to uh, look at the screen, we got the Whirling Wimpus about to attack an unsuspecting lumberjack. And as you can see... He looks exactly like a gorilla, but with tiny, tiny legs and feet. How can he not see him in his peripherals? Dude, well, this isn't really an accurate description of how the Wimpus hunts. We'll get to that in a second, but this is just an artist's depiction so you can see what it looks like. But as you can see, it's got them big old hands. Them big old I can't baseball help but look at mitts. Knees. Say what? I can't help but look at them knees and hairless legs. <laughs> yeah, they're very sm- I don't know why they made them very smooth. Mm, yeah, those are nice. Sticking out of that fur like leg. that? Literally. <laughs> its diet consists of large game, and that unfortunately includes humans. How it hunts is what makes this beast truly peculiar. Peculiar. I hate that word. I love and hate it because I love it because it's a great word, but I hate it because I can't say it. Peculiar. While on a well-worn trail, it stands on its hind legs and begins to whirl like a top, using its long arms and giant hands to continuously gain momentum until it speeds up to a degree where the creature is essentially invisible. The motion of this act creates a droning sound which seems to come from the trees overhead, and at this point is the only indicator of the presence of a whirling wimpus. Indeed, the Wimpus is by far the fastest animal on Earth when it comes to a spinning force. Any creature or unlucky human who does not recognize the sound is likely to walk into the voracious vortex, instantly being sucked in, becoming pulverized into a syrupy liquid, which the bloodthirsty beast licks off its paws. Yeah, so that's how it hunts. That's why the lumberjack doesn't see him, because he is whirling and wimpassing. So kind of like the Kung Lao f- uh, fatality in Mortal Kombat Yeah, exactly. Something exactly, like where you just, where, but he hits you so hard with those baseball mitts just, that you just become paste. Right. And he goes, la, 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 la. Hmm. right off his paws. Uh, so I wasn't able to find really anything uh, concrete on this. But, well, before we get to that, let's, let's listen to what the wimpass probably sounds like. 
Yeah, so if I mean you could t- probably tell by the description and its preferred method of momentum, but it seems very likely that uh, the Looney Tunes' Tasmanian Devil character might have been partially inspired by this fearsome critter, mainly uh, Taz's ability to enter a vortex-like state. Yeah, uh, a behavior surprisingly enough not found in real life wild Tasmanian devils. If you can believe it. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Like the real life Tasmanian devil looks nothing like the cartoon. Tasmanian. I know. It's like they, it's, I don't know. And it doesn't go. <laughs> or doesn't spin around or anything. I, I feel gypped, honestly. But yeah, that's the Wimpus for you. The Wimpus was quote unquote invented before the Tasmanian devil character wasn't created. So I, I think it's fair to say that they definitely took some inspiration from this. All right, let's move on. While some fearsome critters inspire curiosity Others inspire terror, and yet others still only inspire pity. Such is the case of our next poor creature, the squonk. Scientific name, Lacarima corpus dissolvens, or body dissolves in tears. Uh, Residing in Hemlock Forest of Pennsylvania, the squonk is considered to be the ugliest and most miserable creature in the world. This critter is pig-like in appearance, noted for its wrinkly, moly, warty skin that hangs from its body like a badly tailored suit. Its face has been described as looking, quote, like a rat's rear end, end quote, and sports a stubby nose and large bloodshot and watery eyes from which comes a constant stream of tears. And let me get a picture up on the screen for you. There's the little bugger. Why did you just pull up my Facebook? <laughs> Come on, Gary. You're too hard for yourself. You're funny. <laughs> you're a funny man. No, he didn't really do that. <laughs> I honestly, shut up. That would have been amazing. But it's no. a picture of Gary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to have to do that in the future for sure. Heads up. But yeah, that's the squonk. Very warty, very wrinkly, very gross looking. And as you can see, very pitiful looking as well. Yeah, just all, if you you should you should look up a picture of the squonk if you're uh, if you're listening right now, if, or you can just look up on the Cypunt Facebook page, the Instagram page. It's a, uh, it is pretty. It's as miserable as it sounds for sure. Just give it a hug. With that warty, ugly, wrinkly skin, are you serious? You know, it's not true what they say about warts, right? Yeah, they're not transferable. Yeah, well, technically, they kind of are because warts come from the human papilloma virus. And that's technically transferable. Oh. So, but yeah, not like warts on like fro- on like toads and stuff. Yeah. But yeah. I still want to give it a hug. Well, you can give it a hug. And wipe its little nose and its <laughs> eyes. You can do that. Um, Look at him. Yeah. He's so sweet. It, it just makes me want to put him out of his misery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor squonk. Yeah. Uh, despite the squonk's stubby appearance, it can maneuver through the dense forest brush like no other animal as trees and shrubs bend aside out of the squonk's path in order to avoid contact with the beast's warty skin, and they immediately snap back into place. Even trees won't touch it, Gary. While chasing this weeping varmint is impossible, it is quite easy to track as it leaves large puddles of tears in its wake. <laughs> However, when cornered, the squonk demonstrates the curious ability to completely dissolve into a puddle of tears, and I couldn't, I couldn't find if it, uh, if it survives this, like if it can form back, or if it just like, like kills the T9, itself. T nine thousand or whatever. Yeah, or if it just like kills itself. Like, I assume it just dies. Is it the T? 
Yeah, it's the T one thousand. T one thousand. Yes. Because the T eight hundred, it's Arnold. Okay. T one thousand is the guy that plays uh, Peacemaker's dad in the new TV series. Okay. Yeah. Which is a good show, by the way. You should watch it. I'm in the middle of Squid Game right now. Just now? Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, at least you're watching. How are you liking right. it so far? It's, it's all right. Um, I was not expecting the... No spoilers. No, no. I'm just going to say the marble game. Yeah. I'm just going to say it's that. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, the whole show is crazy. But anyway, speaking of sad, sad moments, let's right. go back to the squonk. The most experienced squonk hunters know to track the beast on frosty nights, as this hinders the dissolving ability of the watery wild thing. Famed hunter J.P. Wintling was able to trap a squonk near Mount Alto in Pennsylvania by mocking the cries of this melancholy mutt and convinced the creature to hop into a raggedy burlap sack. After all, misery loves company. Upon carrying the sack home, however, Wintling noticed the crying from the sack had ceased and that the burden became noticeably, noticeably less solid. Upon investigation, he noticed there was no longer an animal in his sack, but only a bubbly pool of tears. Is <laughs> that from Bob's Burgers? No. Oh. It's from, I want to say it's from a TikTok. Maybe oh. it's old enough to be a vine, but you know. Okay. Vines are so much better than TikToks. Anyway, so why does the squonk cry so much, one might ask? It is mostly because it is aware of its own hideous and repulsive appearance. It only travels under the cover of darkness and keeps away from bodies of water in order to avoid looking at its own reflection in the water. I just love how ridiculously sad this thing is. It makes me laugh if that's kind of maybe kind of messed up of me, but I don't know. You know what the true reason is? Why? Depression! <laughs> Chronic depression! <laughs> There is actually another reason. It also cries because it knows it will never find love as squonks reproduce only through binary fission, which is, you know, it kind of splits itself off into another squonk. Oh, really? Yeah. Kind of like kind of like a bacteria. That sounds pretty badass, actually. You saw a really like, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Neat, true facts yeah. about this neat, true animal. <laughs> That's the squonk. Just an utter ridiculous, literal pool of sadness. So did it leave the bag? I don't know. That's where the story ends. It's waterproof. Yeah. Well, it was a burlap sack, so I'm assuming it was dripping a little bit. Maybe it was treated with wax. A burlap sack. Is that like the thing that you like see a potato on the, sack. the end of the, the, the stick when kids are running away? They have no, that that's stick. just a handkerchief. Oh. Okay. A burlap sack is like a potato sack. You're like, when you think of like a scarecrow head, that's made from burlap. Okay. The little brown. So probably pretty water resilient. Yeah. If it's treated, I guess. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, next we move on to a formidable reptile, the Snollygaster. Scientific name, Rhodocatus dorsorius. Dorsoceros. 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 <laughs> which might translate into tapered back rotor tail. Hmm. This beast is sometimes confused with the Snallygaster, a high-flying dragon-like shimra from Maryland. You did this last time. Chimera. Chimera. Shimra. Shimra. Hey. Shimra sounds like a stripper's name. Well. <laughs> Gary, is there something you want to tell me? <laughs> About Shimra. Chimera. 
Yes. So like the chimera ants. Yes. Okay. You're okay. Wow. That was such a weeb thing to say. I know, right? (laughs) Well. All right. Sorry. All right. The snollygaster does not fly and does not reside near our nation's capital. But I assure you, this beast is just as dangerous. So it's the snollygaster, not the snallygaster. Okay. Important distinction. Yes. Deep in the dark and humid cypress swamps of Florida... And even as far as west as Louisiana, the snollygaster awaits its next meal. It resembles an enormous alligator, but sports a coat of glossy fur that resembles swamp vegetation. And it has no limbs. What it does have is a long, pointed horn sprouting from its back. It's not the way I thought you were going to Why were you laughing? No, don't worry about it. Just keep going. Nasty. (laughs) But its tail is the origin of its Latin namesake, for it has three bony plates on the end of its tail that spin like a rotor and propels the creature through the swamp waters like a predatory motorboat. And this motorboat is a man-eater. But yeah, here's the here's the Snollygaster. I got like the more scary representation in black and white, and I got a more cartoony but no less accurate depiction on the right. You know the 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 cartoony version is actually looks more believable. Yeah. Because it literally looks like on the realistic one that somebody just took like like a just like a propeller. Oh, a, a, a propeller, yeah, and just slipped it right over the tail. There. Yeah, whereas this one looks a lot more organic. Yes. Yeah. But but these are supposed to be like bone, so I assume it's made out of the same thing as its horn. Uh, that so, makes sense. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, it twists its tail and goes goes through the swamps interesting yeah swamp children and even swamp adults should be wary for this super croc for if they aren't they will be grasped by the beast's powerful jaws and flung up into the air only to land on the long spike on the back of the snollygaster the snollygaster then carries its impalees on the spike while it continues to hunt flinging more and more onto its skewer until it has enough for a proper meal there have been reports that many of the skewers are still alive as the snollygaster propels itself around the swamp, displaying its macabre shish kebab like trophies. <laughs> I'll find out which button is which earlier. If you're just listening, if you have no intention of going and looking at these on yeah. our social medias, yep. it's basically like a crocodile that has been... Technically an alligator. It's in, it's in the U.S. It's <laughs> like an alligator... But see, that one's big and thick. So crocodiles are bigger, thicker than alligators. Alligators are kind of like... Not necessarily. Alligators are stubbier. Uh, Crocodiles are are more elongated. Okay. I'm not going to pull up pictures right now. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) All right. And you've (laughs) amputated every limb on its body, except that it's it's tail. Mm -hmm. And then you... Glued hair on it. You glued some hair on it, like a toupee. (laughs) All, all all, All along its body. Yes. And mm-hmm. then you stab it mm-hmm. with a rhinoceros horn or a katana. Yeah, it's kind of sword-like in that one. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah, there you go. Then, and then I, propeller. I, I hope Slap I have a propeller on the tail. Yeah, and then put a propeller on the tail, and I there hope I, I, I created you a nice yeah. visual. Yeah, that's the snollygaster. Hmm. Well, speaking of it, shish kebabing its prey, then Vlad the Impaligator. <laughs> finds a secluded spot and makes a hole in the mud which it dumps its prizes and uses its propeller tail to turn the meat to mush which it inhales into its awaiting gullet. Pretty brutal. 
Uh, but some say that the snollygaster is not actually after the flesh of its victims, but actually gains sustenance by eating their shadows. This could be a subspecies, as the horn on this variety is much longer so that they may pin their victims high up on the spike and use the light of the sun to create the shadow so it may devour it. While this variation is the more survivable of the two, a survivor would still have to live with the embarrassment of having their shadow eaten. Could you imagine just walking around, people are like, hey dude, what happened to your shadow? And it's got like a big bite mark taken out, right. you're like, I don't want to talk about it. Uh, dude, it's a, it's, a whole, it's a whole thing. I'll tell you later. If you could eat shadows, I would probably. It's pretty metal. Yeah. <laughs> and I would. Shadow eater. I would probably. I'd, I'd probably be 100 pounds heavier. <laughs> would you eat other people's shadows or would you eat your own shadow? Both. Mm. Do you think they taste different depending on the person? Yeah. 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 Like what, what would my shadow taste like? Yours? Yeah. I'm curious. Uh, I, I think yours would be kind of chewy. Okay. Maybe chewy. Okay. Um, maybe lightly salted. <laughs> That's fair. Lightly That's salted. Fair. That's fair. Yeah. See, I think your shadow, I, I think it would be sweet. Mine would be greasy. <laughs> sweet and greasy. Sweet and greasy. <laughs> yeah. Sweet and greasy was my nickname in high school. <laughs> <laughs> I make that joke all the time, right. but it's always funny. It always. Especially the <laughs> Okay. This beast does have some unfortunate racist connotations with it as uh, author William T. Cox implies that this critter may have acted as some sort of, of, de of a deterrent to runaway slaves in the South, uh, possibly invented to scare slaves into staying on the plantations where they were. It's like, oh, don't run away or the, the snollygaster will get you. But, but yeah, it's kinda, it's kinda, it takes on this boogeyman persona uh, as a lot of folkloric creatures do. But just like in a, as opposed to children, it's a it's a different. Well, way. I mean, so far this would be the most. I mean, the fact that it has no limbs really doesn't. It ain't got no legs. It ain't got no legs, Lieutenant Dan. <laughs> as far as looks go, I think this is the most horrifying looking. Okay, uh, it's I got a really striking appearance. But I think once I saw it, and like if I was on land, I'd be like, "What is that?" Yeah, like, it it, like, it obviously can't go very far into land. So as long as you're away from the right. bank a certain distance, I think you should be safe. And as soon as it got on the the side and it started flopping around, <laughs> I would be like, "You're stupid." Maybe I mean it is kind of more of a, like a, a sl more slender, elongated crocodile. So maybe it can like slither on land, you know? Yeah. True. Or maybe it can use its propeller tail kind of like the airboats on uh, on swamps. So, you know, yeah. I, I just wouldn't mess with it is what I'm saying. I wouldn't go all uh, crocodile hunter on it. <laughs> I wouldn't say, Crocky, she's a beauty. She's a beauty. Because that's how you get impaled, Gary. That's how you get your shadow eaten. Yeah. I'm not going to say it. All right. <laughs> Let's move on from this, st this stupid animal. Let's talk about a... Another monstrous mammal. Let's talk about the agropelter. Scientific name, Anthrocephalus, anthro, anthrocephalus mm -hmm. craniofractans. Yeah. Or human head skullcracker. This tree dweller is a vengeful ape-like beast that inhabits the lumberwoods of the entirety of North America. Can't escape it. This maniacal monkey resembles a baboon with gray fur but frightfully human-like eyes. Its body is thin and wiry, with extremely long, flexible arms like muscular whiplashes, which it uses to catch birds in mid-flight from its perch upon hollowed-out trees. By day, it exclusively hunts woodpeckers. I like that about it. There's a, <laughs> there's a woodpecker in my backyard, dude. <laughs> but 
jokes on him i've had that tree cut down <gasps> so that was his home and by night it will only prey upon owls hmm. luckily the scarcity of these birds keeps the agropelter population in check so let me show you the agropelter this thing's kind of if you think the other one's ridiculous looking there you are oh man <laughs> If I saw that. I really like this interpretation of it because it makes it makes the arms a lot more noodly. It looks like it'd go <laughs> Yeah, like super Ooh. long arms. Yeah. So what we're looking at, we're looking at a, it's pretty much a basic baboony baboony looking monkey, but not the ones with like the big red nose, just like your standard brown boring baboon. But it's got like these weird glowing eyes, got these fangs, but it's got like these very almost like earthwormy like arms that are like two times longer than its body and they're very noodly almost like they don't have any bones in there i wouldn't want to run into it let's put it that way and if you did it probably would not be horrifying it'd, it'd be funny i mean i mean what if it like reached down from its tree and, and grabbed your butt maybe if it was a butt grabber <laughs> i'd accept it yeah yeah you're like thank you I needed that today. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I wasn't feeling particularly sexy today. I'll take today. that as a compliment. Yeah, there you go. Hey, why don't you bring the other one around, huh? <laughs> you got two of them bad boys. <laughs> I got two cheeks. <laughs> Slap them on me. <laughs> the agropelter is an extremely territorial creature and is hostile towards encroaching lumber workers and loggers. If one of these poor souls wander into the animal's territory it will break off a large nearby limb and hurl it with its long elastic arms towards the passerby, which will either strike them in the head or pin them to the ground depending on the size of the branch. When the remains of these pelted woodsmen are found, their deaths are usually chalked up due to being hit by falling tree branches. Yeah, so pretty unfortunate. He always makes it look like an accident. He's like the ultimate assassin. What a way to go. Doesn't sound like a fun way to go. In fact... The only reason we learned of this screwy simian is because of the lone survivor of its missile attack. Big old Kittleson was cruising timber on the upper St. Croix when a small dead branch suddenly shattered against the side of his head. Startled, Ole swung around and managed to see a juvenile rascally agropelter jump down from its perch and run off into the woods. God, I do that every time. That's the sound. Of being hit by an agropelter branch. The other one would work too if <laughs> yeah. he threw the branch. If he threw enough. the branch really hard, yeah. <laughs> it'd be like. <laughs> Sorry, I reconfigured you know the what? buttons on yeah. this. I just keep pressing the wrong one. Just stop. That's that's the sound he makes right before he attacks you. He goes, and then he goes. Once the tree branch hits you, <laughs> you know, you know. Now, obviously inspired by small apes, the agropelter might have also gotten some inspiration from two American legends, the first being the Pukwudgie. The Pukwudgie is a small humanoid creature found in the culture of the Delaware and Wampanoag tribes. I'm sorry. Wampanoag. Wampanoag, yep. Its name roughly translates into Vanishing Little Wild Man of the Woods. It is almost a malicious gnome-like being that can disappear at will, lure people into a deadly fate use magic, and even attack people with arrows and spears. And arrows and spears, what are they made out of? Wood. Like a tree and branch. what is made out of? Trees. Trees. And yeah. trees are made out of wood. And wood is made out of <laughs> trees. <laughs> the more simian aspects of the agropelter may have been partially been inspired by Sasquatch, 
who is also known to throw objects like rocks and branches as a warning to those who are too close to its territory. There we go. There's the, the wormy-armed acropilter. Let's move on. Our next featured creature is a very abnormal one indeed. Now, all of these are certainly strange, but this one, in my opinion, is particularly fantastical. And it goes by the scientific name, Macrostoma sexiperomptis, meaning large mouth in the rocks, or more commonly called the slide rock bolter. Uh, despite the bolter's size, it is a mysterious and elusive creature that lives on the 45 degree plus angled slopes of the mountains of Colorado. In the year 1919, an Austro-Hungarian immigrant by the name of Giuseppe Zingara or Fisse purchased a fertile valley in the state of Colorado and intended to use the valley to graze sheep. To his surprise, however, he woke up one morning to find that half his flock was gone. His flock? His herd. <laughs> Sheeps aren't birds. They are now. <laughs> yeah, in this crazy world of fantastical critters, who knows? Half his herd was gone and the fence broke and flattened. Then once again, he found that the other half of his sheep was gone too, disappearing the very next night. Which means that all of his flock is gone, because two halves Herd. make a whole. Herd. <laughs> Herd. They were flying sheep, Gary. <laughs> They're a flock of sheep. Duh. Oh, man. What a mess. Anyway. What the, the flock is wrong with you? <laughs> Hey, language, <laughs> sir. What the herd is wrong with you? <laughs> the confused Giuseppe gave up on raising sheep and rented out his land to a sanatorium, which used the fresh mountain air to treat rich people with tuberculosis. Exclusively rich people, I guess. One night, an entire bungalow disappeared and 16 patients with it. Survivors reported hearing a strange rumbling sound in the night. Now, I'm not just telling you the story for the fun of it but it actually has to do with the creature I just mentioned. As you may have guessed, the thing responsible for these disappearances is the slide rock bolter. This gigantic landfish has an immense head with beady eyes and an enormous cavern of a mouth. Its tail fin has specialized hooks, which it uses to fasten itself on a mountain slope and remains there motionless, camouflaged against the rocky face, waiting for any prey that might come wander into the gulch below it. Let me give you let me give you a little visual. So here on the left we have an artist's depiction of the slide rock bolter. Why did you pull up my Facebook again? <laughs> As you can see, it's a uh, it's very fishy, very whaleish. It's got for some reason this has a big big luscious lips, uh, pointed teeth. Better than a gassy whale. <laughs> and it looks like it looks like bubble bass from SpongeBob. The face at least. And then it's got its little hook fins, which you use to hook into the mountainside. And it looks like a booty. It does kind of look like a booty. It looks like the strangest booty of all time, but it's a booty. And then over here, I was just like looking for pictures of rockfish. And this is this just a rock on a hiking trail that kind of looks like somebody a whale? painted. Yeah. And so somebody put little eyes on it. And then I just, line the mouth. I just thought it was pretty. I just thought it was pretty neat. And I think if the slide rock bolter is so elusive, it almost has to have some kind of rocky camouflage. So maybe this, in fact, is a juvenile. Slide rock bolter. Maybe it's a fossilized one. It could be. Maybe like, yeah. Upon sighting a suitable meal, the bolter unhooks itself and starts sliding down the mountain like a toboggan, drooling grease from the corners of its mouth, which flows under itself and decreases traction, which greatly increases its speed. 
It then scoops up its victims with its cavernous maw and retains its momentum in order to slide up the next mountain, where it hooks itself onto the face once again and awaits unsuspecting prey. So kind of like half pipes. It kind of slides down one mountain, Mm -hmm. slides up the next mountain, and then turns around and waits for the next meal. Mm -hmm. Um, This fishious monster is a menace to sheep, humans, and even the woodlands themselves, as many trees have been uprooted and flattened in the path of this leviathan. I was say, how many humans would it have to eat to be satisfied, though? Who knows? We don't know anything about its metabolism. It, judging by its side, you'd think it has to be a lot, but maybe it has, like, the world's slowest metabolism, so maybe it only needs, like, I don't know, 16? True. Yeah. Um, the most efficient way of killing these beasts is to create a scarecrow at the bottom of a valley and fill it with TNT. The not-so-bright, not-so-gentle giant will then greedily scoop up this suspected prey, at which the explosive will be set off, and little bits of the bolter will fall all over the area. I don't know, maybe it tastes good. Maybe you can pick up those bits and make, a, it up. make, a, make, yeah, make some like uh, deep-fried bolter giblets, or put them all into a bolter stew. Do you stew. think they deep-fried back then? I mean... That's a good question, huh? Maybe. Yeah, because what, what did this one take? 1910. 1919. Oh, yeah, that's right. I did say 1910. You said 1910. And I was wrong. You said 1909. I did. It's okay. The bolter is also susceptible to leprosy, but it may be difficult to find any person to be voluntarily gulped up by the landfish, even a leper. So, the more you know. And that's the slide rock bolter. I, this one, I, I really like this one. I don't yeah. know why. I couldn't tell you why. If you're like, why do you like this one more than the others? Just like, I don't know. I, I just think it's neat. This one is most alien of all the fearsome critters. Wow. That's a big, that's a bold statement, Gary. The scientists call it. Collapsophomerus geocaptopeltes. <laughs> that's pretty good. But it prefers. Tim. <laughs> its Latin name roughly translates to collapsing leg clay catapult. That's a tongue twister. Collapsing leg clay catapult. But the locals of the foothill forest of California call it El Tripadoro. Jero. Tripadero. <laughs> El Tripadero. Or e- Tripodero. Tripodero. Yeah, right. But, you know. You're it, right. It, no, the, the. El Tripodero. You know. It's probably is il tripadero. That does roll off the top. Tripadero. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Experts have argued whether this animal is mammal or bird, but more recent theories think it to be an echinoderm. Echinoderm. Echinoderm, a class of marine invertebrates in which starfish, sea cucumbers, and sea urchins are members. Hmm. But a specimen has never been captured, so this remains unconfirmed. The, this large land echinoderm indeed has a sea cucumber-like sausage body with a tail that resembles a kangaroo's. Its most pronounced feature are its two telescopic legs, which can extend up to 10 feet as well as contract to mere inches at will, allowing it to survey its surroundings as well as hide in the underbrush of the foothills. These unique legs allow the tripodero to travel with ease, and to rest, it simply leans on its tail, which puts the tripod in tripodero. So here's what the tripodero looks like. <clears throat> As you can see, it's got the it's got the collapsible legs. Mm-hmm. It's got the almost. How many times are we going to mention anus? And on I was going to say it's got an anus 
face. Yeah, it's all. It almost does look like a sea cucumber. All right, so I'm gonna describe this for you. Okay, those who do not anticipate. I got I got two different ever. depictions up on right. here. All right, the cartoony version. Imagine, <laughs> imagine a okay big bird's legs. Yes. Yeah, so oh, it does look like a big yes. bird. That's what big it was. Big bird's legs. Yes. Yeah. And then you have like uh, I say I wouldn't say it looks like a kangaroo tail at all. Well, I mean, it, it, if you put if you take this half where it's got the two legs that it stands on with the more stiff tail, mm. I mean, it's not as stiff in this depiction, but it is in this. One. Okay, uh, just imagine a, a like a, a small animal's body with like a, a long tail. Yeah, and then on its neck, where its head would be, there's a butthole. Yeah. And, and two little tiny beady eyes. Two tiny eyes it. above its butt. But yeah, it does kind of... Just imagine a sea cucumber, but with a, a, a neck and a slight head. So you say imagine two- a sea cucumber, and I have no idea what a sea cucumber looks like. Well, imagine a cucumber. Okay. Now imagine it in the water. And there you go. <laughs> does, okay. does that help? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and then uh, the one on the right, it kind of... The head kind of reminds me of a seahorse almost, where it's got like the more... A pronounced snout. E.T.'s face. And it's got it's got like big owl eyes. Yeah, that's like E.T.'s face. It is kind of like E.T.'s yeah. face. The shape, or it's kind of got like the heart-like kind of thing. Hey, his butthole's showing too. That's not a butthole. Oh. I mean, it could be. But it's coming out of the side of its legs, so that'd be a weird butthole. Mm. But this depiction's also weird because it's got like like eggs, I guess, on its belly and kind of like a weird tongue. I don't even know what's going on right here. But I just thought it was cool. Like, and is there is there smoke coming out of its be- beak, or is that water bubbles? It, it's smoke, as you will uh, as you will soon read why. Marijuana. <laughs> the creature's head, if it can be called that, mainly consists of a tubular snout on top of which sits two beady eyes. In this snout, it keeps a store of clay, which it has collected previously and is able to shape the clay into dried pellets. Either when hunting or when threatened, the tripodero will rise up to a suitable height and aims its snout either at prey or at its attacker and shoots these hard pellets with surprising force, which knocks its victim senseless. So, yeah, it like spitballs little uh, clay clay bullets at you, and that's that's where the smoke comes from. Because it just fired its clay missile. Or is it? No, I'm not going to do it again. No, you I'm mean... Marijuana! Marijuana! If prey, the creature will then eat the animal slowly, grinding up the carcass with its premolar teeth. Pretty metal. <laughs> I'm just going to say that every time you say something. We need to get like a guitar riff. Although it, t- it attacks humans with its missiles like the agropelter, it is not nearly as deadly and will only attack if it feels threatened or if the offending human is too close to the creature's eggs, which the male guards fiercely. Also very similar to a seahorse. Also metal. Also man in here. Yeah. The eggs are similar to the gilligaloo bird in the sense that they are shaped like cubes. Researchers have managed to harvest some tripodero eggs, but have yet to be able to incubate one successfully enough to produce a hatching. Hatchling. To produce a hatchling. Yes. That's what I said. Yeah, that's what I heard. If you are wondering what these eggs taste like if cooked up, you might be surprised to learn. You might be surprised to learn mm-hmm. 
that they are quite flavorless. Well, that's disappointing. I would assume they would be delicious. Is it? I mean, realistically, most most meat is pretty flavorless if you don't yeah, season it. Yeah, you really have to season yeah. it. Yeah, especially like chicken. Or like just even just eggs. Even if you just like cooked some plain old eggs, it would be pretty bland. Right. It's the importance of seasoning. Mm-hmm. Uh, our next entry is a feathered fiend hailing from the Great Lakes region of North America, known to experts as the shot apprehensa avis, or the shot-catching bird, but is more colloquially known as the dingbat, also my nickname in high school. You may recognize the term dingbat as a word reserved for one who it might also be called idiot, nincapoop, dunce, dolt, ignoramus, imbecile, dullard, moron, simpleton, clod, dope, ninny, halfwit, dimwit, nitwit, numbskull, bonehead, chucklehead, and many others. But unlike the bird brains of the human world, the dingbat critter doesn't really come off as a dipstick. The dingbat appears to be a combination of a bat and an owl, with both a furry, dark furry body but with large feathered wings, and sports a pair of deer-like antlers on its head. The dingbat is actually related to the snipe, the animal this podcast is named after. The mythical snipe. <laughs> That's metal. Okay, we're done. Um, as the snipe also sports both fur and feathers, and some variations even have antlers. Experts also believe that the dingbat might also be related to the jackalope, but more research will need to be done to prove these suspicions. I'll get you to pull up a little, a little dingbat. That's not a dingbat. That's a dingbat. So this is a taxidermy dingbat on display at the Friendly Buckhorn. And uh, its uh, its little caption says, A dingbat flushed from its wild and woolly lair west of Rice Lake, Wisconsin. That's Canton. Now picture this. Okay. A taxidermist yep. has essentially just took a bunch of leftover parts and just... Yes. As you would say, it is a true chimera. Yeah. That's, what I, <laughs> that's exactly what I would say. Of animals. But yeah, it's got like the owl body and wings. It's got like almost like a chipmunk-like head. And then it's got it's, the the little uh, Star Wars creatures. Yeah, yeah, face. the Ewoks. Yeah, Ewok it kind of looks face, like a, it yeah. does have an Ewok face. And then it's got like two small antlers sticking out of it. So there you go. It's kind of cute. I want to hold it. Yeah, it looks like some. It looks like a. It reminds me of the Porgs, also from Star Wars, the little bird-like ones in the newer movies. All right. Yeah. So it's like a Porg Ewok. It's like it's like Disney's wet dream when it comes to selling merchandise. <sighs> it's like, oh man, I wish we could <laughs> buy the Dingbat. My wet dream now. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> anyway, uh, appearances and relatives aside, the dingbat is an extraordinary animal, definitely in the running for the fastest flyers on Earth, despite the heavy antlers on its head. This bird mammal thing will perch on a branch and remain motionless for hours, simply daring a hunter to take aim with his hunting rifle. The dingbat has keen eyes It will spot a hunter long before the woodsman will spot it. Once the hunter takes aim and pulls the trigger, the dingbat will then dart into the air with startling speed and catch the bullet in its beak before swallowing the projectile. The dingbat also has a voracious hankering for motor oil. Relatable. And is often a pain to nearby humans as it will drink the oil directly from the car. Perhaps due to the dingbat's seemingly exclusive diet of man-made materials, some fanciful folk view the creature as a guardian of the wild for the northern lumberwoods. The dingbat is most likely the American cousin of a creature from German folklore, the Wolpertinger. Mm. I want to know who leaves their vehicle oil accessible. 
Well, it's not that accessible. I'm, I'm sure it can like you know get under there and pull the hood latch. Yeah, pull the hood latch and then unscrew the cab. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe maybe it goes uh, maybe it goes under the car, removes the oil filter. You know, yeah. it looks like a rascally little creature. I think it can do that. No, it has no hands. It's got those antlers. Maybe it can just like pierce the gas con- or the oil container and just like, laps it up. It's called an oil pan, Darren. No, the oil pan is what you collect the oil, the use oil in. No. On the car, it's called an oil pan. I don't think so. I am correct. Uh, if anyone knows about cars more than we do, <laughs> just send us an email at sniperpodcast at gmail.com and let us know who is wrong. It's probably going to be me, but I don't like to be just wrong. Just put Darren's a dumbass yeah. in the subject. Whoa. Line. Whoa. Boom. Too far. <laughs> <laughs> Boo yeah. Okay. Carry on. <clears throat> but yeah, let us know for sure. Uh, the dingbat is most likely the American cousin of a creature from German folklore, the Wolpertinger. This creature was also made up of various animal parts. It has feathered wings, a tail, fangs, and antlers on the body of a small mammal. So basically, the dingbat. Uh, more modern interpretations depict it as a jackalope with wings and fangs. Um, so I do have a jackalope and friends topic suggestion on voting on patreon.com right now. So if you want to hear more about that, let me know. Get on Patreon. Vote for it. Don't don't send me a message saying, hey, I would like to hear an episode about it. If you want to hear an episode about it, you got to go vote for it. You know? And Depending you on your age, you might have heard of the jackalope from... So Bob Saget, rest in peace. Oh, yeah. Um, I forgot about that. He did America's Funniest Videos. and But then Dave Coulier who was also on Full House with him, hosted America's Funniest Pets. Okay. I think it's might have been called. Sure. And he had a character on there that was a jackalope. Oh. Like, I'm what? as fast as fast can be. You'll never catch me. What a deep cut. Of. What an obscure reference. <laughs> I, I don't think it I... Made me remind, it reminded me of that. I, was like, I don't think I've ever heard of that, so there you go. That shows your age. Yeah, it shows my age. You're only like, what, 10 old, years older than me? 38. Yeah, and I'm 28. There you go. Okay, yeah. Okay. 10 years. There's a lot that can happen in 10 years. There you go. I changed your diaper. Yeah. Yeah. Just a few short months ago. <laughs> yeah, that's when you were 10 years old. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, next we have a two-for-one entry in the form of two strange serpents, the joint snake and the hoop snake. All right. Let's see if I can hit the right one. I'm a snake. I'm a snake. <laughs> I'm a snake. I actually love that. I'm a slithery little snake. I'm so slithery and snake because I'm a snake. You're welcome. The joint snake is an elusive creature and not much is known about it. Thus, it does not have a scientific name. As such, we at Snipe Hunt will assign it one using the power invested in us by ourselves. We shall name it Vitrofractus Serpens, the Broken Glass Serpent. You like that? I like it. Okay, good. I like it. (laughs) The snake itself is non-venomous and is beautifully streaked with black and white. While it has scales, they are as hard and as smooth as glass, and as such, the snake has few joints and can hardly bend its body. If struck, the snake will break itself into several pieces, possibly as a defense mechanism. Curiously enough, the snake can then reassemble itself. Despite its hard skin, the joint snake can easily be cut with a knife. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll go ahead and pull up a picture real quick. 
easier to eat that way. So on the, we'll get to this in a second, on the left is the joint snake. As you can see, it's broken up now, into several different segments. This is your age. Let's see if if your age is going to show again. Or okay. My age. But do you remember that toy? The What toy? The, the snake toy that okay. you could hold it by the tail and it would... It looked like that, except okay. it was connected. But it, but what was it like that? Like a wooden one that would like pinch you? Yes. Oh yeah, like the little ones at Silver Dollar City. And they had plastic ones too. Yes. Oh, I didn't know they had plastic. But yes. Ones. Okay. Yeah. yeah no, 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 no. no. Would, I see what you're saying. They yeah. would definitely pinch for yeah. sure. Yeah. No, I had one which I got from Silver Dollar City. Okay. A wooden one. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, it does look like that. You're right. You're right. Anyways. Were you going to say anything else? No, that was it. Okay. It's basically the look of the snake. It looks like a snake, but broken into fragments. That's it. That's pretty much it. It looks like a snake, and you are about ready to make it for dinner. Yeah, it looks like you cut it up into snake yes. steaks. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, there you okay. go. That's, that was a good description. <laughs> a plus. It is said that if a piece of the snake is taken and the pocket knife used to cut the snake is set down in the place of the snake's piece, the knife will join up with the whole of the snake. Period. Period. <laughs> so yeah, if you if you leave your pocket knife lying around, if you cut it, up the snake, you're probably going to lose the pocket knife. Then it'll become a snake knife. <laughs> I keep doing that one. Snake oh, knife. I keep messing it up. Play on words. Snake knife. Get it? Snake knife. Snake knife. Oh, look at no, you. It's oh. like a it's like a bad Pokemon name. I thought that was great. <laughs> no, I no, I was I wasn't being sarcastic. Oh. That was good. I enjoyed it. The animal is sometimes referred to as Franklin's trouser snake. Which you now understand is a joke. As this is the snake depicted in Benjamin Franklin's famous political cartoon, Join or Die. Which is what I have here, which is encouraging all the the state colonies to join up against the British. There you go. If you've taken U.S. history in high school, you know exactly what little comic I'm talking about, so... There you go. If not, then I'm sorry. I can't help you. Look it up. (laughs) Uh, The joint snake was probably inspired by a genus of legless lizards, not snakes, called glass lizards. These lizards have no legs, and as such, they are very snake-like in appearance. They can break off their own tail in self-defense, like many lizards, slithering away as the predator eats the tail. The concept of a regenerative serpent also brings to mind the hydra from Greek mythology. You remember the big purple snake dragon thing from the Disney's Hercules that he fought? I never saw that. What? Never saw it. Bro. Sorry. It is one of my favorite Disney anime movies. I had Hercules strap-on sneakers. The the, the Velcro straps? Not strap-on. That's something different. Disappointment! (laughs) No, I've never seen it. Well, you got to go home and watch it tonight. It has Danny DeVito in it, Gary. That doesn't snag me, dude. What? Gary, I don't... Doesn't have the voice of Joe from Family Guy, too? What doesn't? Kronk. Is it Kronk? Is he from Hercules? He is from another animated jewel classic known as The Emperor's New Groove. Oh, I haven't seen that either. (laughs) Dude, actually, (laughs) you would love The Emperor's New Groove. It is hilarious. But yeah, it's got David Spade, Eartha Kitt, uh, Patrick Warburton, and it's just... It's one of my favorite anime movies of all time. Well, both of them are, but probably more the Empress New Groove. Mm. Watch it. Okay. Watch it. All right. Gary, look at me. Look at me right now. Watch it. They're probably on Disney Plus, right? Uh, probably. Okay. All right. Now let's focus on the joint snake's northern cousin, the hoop snake. 
Scientific name, Serpenserculosis circumdata. Yeah. Woo. Which good. translates to serpent surrounded by a circle. Serpent surrounded by a circle. <laughs> Are you getting tired of that yet? All right. I I'm not. So. Sorry. Yeah, it's great. I'm going to enjoy. Anyways, unlike <laughs> the previously mentioned southern serpent, this snake is highly venomous and can be dangerous to humans and can be found in the northern United States as well as Canada. The hoop snake is so named due to its peculiar method of getting around. Yes, it can slither, but when it needs speed, it will bite its own tail and form a hoop and then use its muscles to roll like a wheel or a hoop, if you will, and flexes to maintain its center of gravity. Using this method, the snake can roll at a speed of up to 60 miles per hour to ambush its prey. Upon reaching its quarry, the snake will unroll at the last second and deliver a fatal sting with its venomous tail. So if you look to your right, I have an artist's depiction of the hoop snake chasing an unfortunate what looks to be a prospector mm -hmm. running downhill, which is the exact opposite way you want to be running. When you're running <laughs> from the exactly. Because, it, yeah, it literally just becomes like a, a spokeless wheel and uh, just rolls, you know? Yeah. It just roll. It just keeps rolling, rolling, rolling. What? And he's sucking his own tail. Yeah, he's got his own tail in his mouth. It looks pretty mean too. Look at those little mean eyes. The, the picture on the right is just kind of boring. It looks like it should be on a flag or the cover of a book. Well, we'll get to that. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. The hoop snake is aggressive and will attack if provoked. If you find yourself being chased by a hoop snake, hide behind a tree, as the snake will then sting the tree instead. Unfortunately, the venom is so corrosive. It will often kill the tree. Yes, it doesn't bite you, it stings you. Very important distinction. These serpents are susceptible to their own venom, so when it clamps itself to its tail, special glands in the snake's mouth will secrete a special anti-venom which negates the virulent and corrosive properties of its own poison. However, this has to be done consciously, so sometimes when the snake is too caught up in the thrill of the hunt, it will forget to deploy its anti-venom and so unintentionally kill itself with its own toxic tail. Rip. As one might have guessed, this anti-venom is highly prized among those who venture into the hoop snake's territory. Yeah, I sure hope this guy has it. <laughs> and I don't know why I say anti-venom. I think it's anti-venom. Anti-venom? Yeah. Anti yeah. yeah. Hmm. Well, it's like if it's the actual anti-venom, I say anti-venom. But if it's like the comic book character, I say anti-venom. Anti-venom. Mm-hmm. It's carnage. It's no. anti-venom. No, there's an actual character named anti-venom. Oh, okay. Well, uh, technically, <laughs> carnage is anti-venom as well. Well, I mean, I mean, maybe. Yeah, he's born from venom, just like anti-venom is. So, yeah, I see where I see what you got going. I'm smell. I'm smelling what you're stepping in. Those unfortunate enough to be stung by a hoop snake will quickly turn purple, swell up, and you guessed it. Die! <laughs> and if a morbidly curious individual would poke the swollen corpse with a stick, there would be a good chance that the body would explode. I will never touch a dead bee. A dead bee? Because when I was like three or four years old, oh God. I picked up a dead bee and it stung me. Dead bees can sting. Yeah, I'd imagine. So I wouldn't go around picking up dead bees? Yeah. <laughs> Did it hurt? I don't remember. I know. I remember. I just. You remember I enough. That, I remember enough that I remember yeah. to this day. So it must have hurt a bit. Yes. 
There you go. I just couldn't believe that something dead could still sting. Something so dead could be so deadly. Deadly. Okay. Now, the hoop snake might be joke lore, but that didn't stop people from allegedly citing this serpent. In the early 20th century, naturalist and herpetologist, a snake scientist or reptile scientist, Raymond Dittmars placed $10,000 in trust in a bank for the first person to provide real evidence of a hoop snake. Estimating this trust was created in 1940, that would equal over $197,000 in today's money. Um, so he really wanted that evidence, apparently. Yes, please. Could you imagine someone like, hey, you got a million dollars out here for evidence of Bigfoot. Would you be a Bigfoot hunter then? I Do I get a participation trophy? Uh, yes. Like, is there a cash reward for my time? No, not a cash reward. You get a, you get a coupon to uh to uh to Tim Hortons. Then yes, I'm in. <laughs> uh as far as we know, that evidence was never found nor provided. Um as far as mythological connections go, the hoop snake seems to be imitating one of the oldest symbols of mankind, the Ouroboros, which depicts a dragon or a serpent eating its own tail, creating a hoop. And that's what I have pictured here. It's from an old manuscript of it's a depiction of the Ouroboros. The oldest version of the symbol was found in China on a piece of pottery belonging to the Neolithic Yangshao culture, which occupied the area from 5000 to 3000 BC. Um, the symbol would ra- later be found in ancient Egypt before migrating to Greece. The symbol represents eternal cyclic renewal, the cycle of life, death, and rebirth. Uh, the hoop snake is also similar to a previous subject, a Japanese cryptid called the Suchinoko which I believe we covered in our Japanese yokai episodes. The Suchinoko is a short and stubby serpent with various abilities, like being able to double jump, uh, like Mario, and some are rumored to be able to speak. And of course, sometimes it will swallow its own tail and roll like a wheel, or hoop, if you will. Our final critter in our monster menagerie is one of the more well-known of the bunch, as this secretive stalker has slowly made its way into pop culture. Ursus dissimulans, the concealed bear, the hide-behind. The hide-behind stands around six feet tall, with thick black fur, and either its face is hidden within the fur, or it maybe it has no face at all. And its dark arms end with long bear-like claws, and it gets its name for its tendency to conceal itself behind trees, as its slender body allows it to completely disappear behind the slimmest of trees. This nocturnal beast is highly dangerous, as it is marvelously quick, extremely stealthy, and has the uncanny ability to always be behind its prey. Even if one detects its presence, it never remains on the open and can duck behind a tree no matter how quickly the suspicious huntee turns around and looks. It quickly becomes the most deadly game of hide-and-seek. It is a carnivore, and its favorite food is lumberjacks. Once it closes in, it will leap out at its unsuspecting prey and let out a hideous howl and quickly disembowel its victim. The frightening fiend will then drag the carcass back to its lair and feast on the intestines of the kill. Many disappearances of woodsmen are attributed to the hide-behind. Some more modern depictions show the hide-behind as more tree-like in appearance, with branch-like limbs and a more woody and shadowy than furry. Indeed, this new look would greatly assist the hide-behind to camouflage into the dark forest it lives in. 
Perhaps this is what the cryptic critter looks like under all that fur. Perhaps it has adapted and has lost its fur to become even more ninja-like. Alright, so if you want to consult the PowerPoint, you can see the two different depictions of the hide behind. This one in particular is a lot more ape-like than I thought it was going to be because from this first description, it sounds a lot more bear-like. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you can see, it's kind of got like bearish claws, little paws, and obviously furry. Obviously it looks like a Bigfoot went on slim fast diet yes. or something. And then if we have our newer appearance, our more modern depiction of the hide behind, where it looks like a shadowy tree figure. It's like Groot with uh, some sort of weird spider legs. Yeah, it's like, it's like spider Groot. Yeah, it's yeah, like e- Groot's evil twin is what it looks like. But like I said, this is my own speculation. Maybe um, this is what it looks like under all that fur. Maybe it has mange like that one black bear does. Yeah. Yeah. It does sound like it has a lot of black bear-like qualities, but you never know. So how do we avoid such a terrifying beast that we cannot detect until it's too late? Well, luckily for us, this shadowy slasher has an extreme version to the smell of alcohol. It is known to actively avoid inebriated individuals. So what's our defense, Gary? Get crunk. You're supposed to laugh at that. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> there it is, yeah. In fact, even just one open bottle of beer of your choice is enough to act as a safeguard, even with the most thickly infested hide-behind country. Even in the most thickly infested hide-behind country. My beer choice. If I were to go through hide-behind country, I'd probably bring like an IPA because it has a very strong smell to it. So I think that would ward it off better than like, you know, a Bud Light or something. What about that nasty stuff you were drinking on that one episode? <laughs> oh, what all was the, it? All the cryptid... That, yeah, yeah, that was an IPA. Yeah. 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 The, and you like cracked it open in this room. And oh, like, that smelled Whoa. so bad. But it, <laughs> it tasted pretty good. If you like, if you're into IPAs, I kind of am. I like the I like the more like juicy like fruity IPAs, like that one I had, which was the Bat Squatch IPA. It's basically like motor oil with a hint of so it so fruit. the Dingbat might like it. Right. And this will bring us to our one story for this episode. It was posted anonymously and is simply titled, The Hide Behind. Whenever my brother and I came home late for dinner, our dad would tell us about the hide behinds. These creatures, he would say, would follow hikers as they walked through the woods. At the crack of a branch, you'd turn around, but there'd be nothing there. Then out of the corner of your eye, you might see a dark shape sprint behind a tree. Soon... Your paranoia escalates, and you're running through the woods. But there is no escape, he'd say. The hide behind would follow you until your heart stopped from the fright. And I believed him, the child that I was. For a while, I'd never stay in the woods for too long or too late, and I was never late for dinner. But I soon grew out of such fantasies. There were other real dangers of the woods to fear getting lost or preyed upon by bears. The hide-behind seemed so immature now. Yet every now and then, when I'd linger in the woods after twilight, a dark shape darting behind a tree would catch my eye. For an instant, my heart would skip a beat, but I dismissed them as a deer or simply paranoia. I didn't want to believe. I should have listened to my instincts. There's a reason people have an innate fear of the woods. There's a reason we feel like something is following us when we hike home after dark. Like my childhood nightmares come to life. 
I found myself lost in the woods one day as the sun went down. I walked as fast as I could through the thick woods, trying to get my bearings. No, that's the wrong way. I doubled back, just in time to catch a glimpse of something behind a tree. Perhaps that was the right way after all. I turn around and continue faster. I look back, and there it is again. But this time, he lingers in the open for a while before disappearing behind the trees. Now I'm running. My heart races. The thorns tear at my legs. I need to go faster. I need to go on, but my legs won't run any further. So I crawl. I crawled through the thickets until my hands were bloody and raw. And when I could go no further, I prayed for it all to be over. I don't know how I survived that night. What willpower kept me going. But somehow, I evaded those terrible creatures until sunrise and found my way back to civilization. It was a while before I went into the woods again. There's a reason people have an innate fear of the woods. These creatures, these incarnations of paranoia, have haunted man for as long as he's walked in the woods. My advice to anyone in the woods after dark, don't look behind you. Bam! Spooky. I, I like this story because it kind of, as opposed to the more, you know, flesh and butt, flesh and blood creatures we've been covering. Flesh and butt. Flesh and butt. <laughs> creatures we've been covering, it's it brings in that they're more, a more ethereal, more supernatural aspect to them being uh, incarnations of paranoia. I just really like the story. I really liked it too. And I, I forgot about it until I was reading it again. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, damn, we lost that. Because I was, I <laughs> yeah, really That was liked, a really good reading. I know. Too. I really liked that uh, first reading. Damn it. But yeah. So, um, as previously mentioned, the hide behind at its core is inspired by the fear of being stalked in the woods, as well as an explanation for the di- disappearances of woodsmen. Its black, furry appearance might have been inspired by black bears, as well as its sci- as its scientific name suggests. Uh, black bears will mark trees, and if this behavior is viewed from the right angle, it might look like the bear is hiding behind the trees and peeking out around it. So, kind of a real-world explanation for it. A more modern interpretation of a Slenderman-esque tree-like being might just be more modern interpretations of this beast. Very similar to the modern depiction of the Wendigo, which gives it a deer skull for a head, complete with antlers, despite them not looking like that at all in actual folklore. Slenderman might very well be an inspiration for this new depiction, as well as the hide behind might have been an inspiration for the Slenderman mythos. Both are tall, slender, hang out in woods, take people, disembowel people, and are always right behind you. Behind you. (sighs) Oh, (laughs) well... Oh, God. (laughs) Maybe woodsmen were seeing a large hairy cryptid peek at them from behind trees. Once again, I'm putting Sasquatch into the equation as they are allegedly curious creatures, but also cautious. Perhaps the hide behind sightings are actually Bigfoot sightings, as many cryptozoologists believe. (sighs) Very skinny Bigfoots. (laughs) That's it. That's it. All the fantastical creatures you could possibly hope to find in the woodlands of North America. Man, I really hope we didn't mess this recording up, too. Dude, that would suck so bad. Everything looks good. It's recording both our voices, as you can see. I see the little lines. Yes. This is... I don't know. There's a lot of blank lines on mine. Hold on. Let's let's get it up to speed. It doesn't... It's not like a real time. There you go. Oh, okay. Yeah, there it is. Okay. All right. Cool. (laughs) Cool beans. I started free... I was like, wait a minute. Wait, it's not moving now. <laughs> All right. 
there are certainly a lot more out there, but there are some. These are these ones that we did are some of the best in our opinion. Yes. So, and when um, I say our opinion, I mean my opinion. Yeah, <laughs> Darren's opinion. <laughs> Is there one that you think we should have included? What's your favorite fearsome critter? Let us know by emailing us or contacting us on social media. What is your favorite fearsome critter that we covered today, Gary? Mine, um, freaking heck. What well, you did talk a lot about the Snollygaster. Yeah, I talk, that's not my favorite. That one's kind of dumb. That The squonk, yes. The squonk. That was it, yeah. The one you want to give a hug to? Yeah. Is it, is it, are these just pity points? Look at him. Is, so is that cute. what all, yeah. Look these at him and you're so, so cute. You don't want the picture, boy. You don't baby. You. All right. Sorry, go ahead. Can you, guess, right. can you guess my favorite? I'm going to guess yours is the hide behind. I do like the hide behind. Oh. I do like the more supernatural aspect to it. Uh, but I also, I don't, I'm not sure if I have a favorite favorite, but I like the hide behind. I like the squonk just because how ridiculously sad it is. And then I like, uh, the slide rock bolter. I don't know okay. why. Like I said, you asked me why I like if it. If you were going to say you. the snake. The snake. Like, Come on. The slippery snake. I think the hoop snake's funny. I like snake. <laughs> wow. You actually pressed the right button. Maybe you should man the, I know. <laughs> the, I was the like, whole time. I'm not going to lie. I've avoided touching it because I figured I'd probably screw it up too. But I know this one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. And as usual, if you like the show, don't be a squonk or be a squonk. Give us a rating on whatever app you use to let you listen to the podcast on. Uh, if it lets you leave a review. I hey, know. did you know that Spotify lets you leave reviews now? No. No, you have to you have to listen to a certain amount of the podcast, but you can leave reviews on, Sp on Spotify now. Really? There you go. So if you use Spotify, go to our page, listen to an episode on there, there and then leave a rating. Dude, that would be so cool when we get that check for a dime. Not even a dime, dude. I, I actually I have music on Spotify, mm -hmm. and it's like, oh man, we made twenty five cents this year. We're <laughs> I almost said a bad word. Beep. <laughs> we're we're rolling in it, man. Yeah. Lindsay got a for Quib Talk. Yeah, uh, I don't know where she got it from. Anchor, Anchor, yep. I think she got like uh, I want to say it was like five. Yeah, because five uh, bucks. Yeah, because they do uh, they do the Anchor ad right before every episode. Right. Yeah, like five bucks. I was like, oh, yeah. I turned shit. my ads on, but the Anchor hasn't contacted me about it. So I'm gonna splint that three ways, man. <laughs> Hell yeah! Don't spend it all in one place. Yeah. You know, if you, if you enjoy the show, give us as many stars as you as. Yeah, you know what to you do. You can. Yeah, yeah, you know what you know what to do, and. Uh, you know, you can let us know why you like the show. Yeah. But leave if, a comment. If you leave a, a crappy rating, let us know why it's yeah. crappy. Leave a comment no matter what. If you yeah. if you have some constructive criticism, give us five stars yes. and then leave us yes. a comment saying, hey, I didn't like this part. Right. The exactly. five stars is what we want. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, yep. and TikTok. All of it. The links to most of those are in the show notes of the episode. Yep, and that's where I'll be posting the pictures. So this is a very visual episode, so I highly recommend you visit those pages. Yes. And Gary is going to put out so much <laughs> content great on TikTok, TikTok content. It's going to be insane. I will. It's only been like, what, six months since you promised that? I know, I know. Something like that? Yeah. But, but just wait. Once but I he, start doing it, I ain't going to stop. Yeah, he's got something brewing. I can, I can feel it. I do. I, I don't even just, just mean wait. like in his bowels. I mean like for the TED Talk. Yeah. And in my bowels. <laughs> and in his bowels. Check out our tiers on Patreon to see if you are interested in voting for future episodes and or the bonus content we have on there, including early access to episodes via our raw and uncut versions. 
Um, now that I am post-COVID and post-coughing, uh, I am planning on uploading more bonus audio up there soon. Uh, so yeah, $1 gets you topic voting and a shout-out. Uh, $5 gets you bonus audio, topic voting, and a shout-out. And $10 gives you raw and uncut episodes. Raw and uncut. Which Gary and Lindsay say is the best way to listen to Snipe. Stephanie says that. Stephanie says Lindsay, that. Lindsay, I don't know if she listens. Well, I think she did. Yeah. I don't know. She might. Okay. Well, Steph, two people yes. <laughs> out of the three. <laughs> Does Jeremy listen anymore? Yeah, he listens. Oh, okay. I don't think he goes. He don't get the raw and uncut, though. No, he should. A link to our Patreon page can also be found in the show notes. And as usual, if you have a topic suggestion, question, comment, criticism, or if you have a story about fearsome critters or anything else, please contact us on social media or email us at snipehuntpodcast at gmail.com and let us know if you'd like to hear your story in one of our encounters episodes. You know you want to. You know you want to. That'd we be talk so about awesome. When, how awesome would it be? You submit it. You give us a story, and then we tell the story, mm-hmm. and then we tell you our thoughts about the story. And I read it with my sultry voice. Yeah, and then yes. I, I make connections to folklore. It's a, it's a whole thing. Yes. So if you have a paranormal story, or a story that might be perceived as paranormal, do it. Do it now. <laughs> no. A little bit of time only. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, so there's not really a final joke for this one. I, I couldn't really find one that pertained to the content, so I apologize. But all the critters in this episode were a joke. So we'll just say uh, thank you for listening. And uh, welcome us back from our hiatus, our mm. unplanned hiatus. <laughs> unplanned. Yeah. See y'all. Thanks for tuning back in. We'll see you later. Bye. Nearly every occupation has its own superstitions but very few take it further and create their own mythology. These fantastical critters are the products of humor, of fear, and of previous folklore. Telling stories about these beasts past time in the dark and lonely lumberwoods of North America. So next time you're logging, camping, or hiking, keep an eye out. You may just spot a bird that flies backwards, or hear the crying of a pathetic animal. Or maybe, your hairs will stand on end as you sense a dark presence behind you. In that case, it is best not to look behind you, as it might just be frightening joke lore. Once again, we want to thank you for listening to Snipe Hunt. Your listening has been noted and will be reported to the proper authorities. All audio used was done so under fair use. The music you have heard in this episode was composed by Mayu, Nature World 1986, and Festlian Studios. We'll continue to search for the unexplained and hopefully see you on the next hunt. <laughs>